One of the things that people often say to me is, well, if anyone can start a cryptocurrency, how do they have any value? It's just like a company, right? I could start a company tomorrow that doesn't mean shares in Apple are going to reduce in value because, you know, they're, they're not like for like. So part of the program is NZX wants to promote investor education, and we believe every investor should be well-informed. And we're trying to get exposure to uh, as much information as we can. And with that, we have Janine Granger from Easy Crypto here to share some education about cryptocurrencies. First off, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me Appreciate in. It. Lovely to be here. Monday morning, we're getting right after it. But we thought we'd start this podcast and keep it pretty basic about what is cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, all, all the kind of basic things people probably want to know but are afraid to ask. <laughs> we'll just kind of tap into your expertise. Absolutely. And yeah. it is an asset class that most people know very little about. Yeah. So no stupid questions. <laughs> it's, um, you know, happy to jump straight in at the basics and, you know, dig around anything that's that's confusing or in your mind and cool. hopefully some useful insights in there for the audience. Nice, nice. All right, well, let, let's start with the real basic one. Just doing a little bit of reading before. When did crypto become such a big asset class? It's crept up on us over the years, and we saw last year the, the massive price increases, a lot of media attention. I guess, what's the story behind it and how, how it got to where it is today? Yeah, so cryptocurrency started in sort of 2008, 2009 with Bitcoin, the very first ever way of doing a digital asset. And it sort of petered along without much interest from the wider population until about 2017. And I think if you cast your mind back then, you remember Bitcoin, blockchain, it was all over the news, everyone's talking about it in the media. And that was when I think it started getting retail adoption. And then it wasn't sort of until probably 2020, 2021 that we started seeing the institutions come in and a lot more interest from from finance houses, from banks, from investment firms. And now we're starting to see more of the government level adoption of the, the underlying technology as well. And it's just a new investment. People probably looking to more diversification, broaden their asset classes, just like any other thing that might come out there has kind of driven some of the popularity as well. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because the promise of cryptocurrency and sort of this, you know, blockchain technology is a very functional use case driven opportunity, but we haven't seen that really become real world. What we are seeing instead is the speculation in it as an investment class, yeah. whereas there is so much more potential yeah. beyond that. Do you know the story behind the Satoshi Nakamoto? <laughs> The, the mystery. Yeah, the mystery man, right? Or person? Yeah. Yep. Mystery, yeah, mystery person group. It's, it's, it's fascinating, right? Because, like, you know, cryptocurrency is incredibly traceable. And actually, you know, everything online, you leave a lot of digital footprints everywhere you go. And so it's really impressive that someone managed to be probably the most famous unknown person in the world and to maintain that anonymity for going on decades now. Crazy. Yeah. Unbelievable. But very cool backstory to it. So another thing that's been in the news a lot over the last year is. Uh, um, are NFTs. And that always comes up when people ask about that. Can you explain a little bit what the difference between an NFT is uh, and a cryptocurrency? Sure. So with a cryptocurrency, it's similar to cash, for example, where, you know, one $5 note is interchangeable with another $5 note. NFTs stand for non-fungible token, which is just a very confusing way of saying something that's unique, a digital unique asset. And so there's a lot of really interesting use cases um, for NFTs that go well beyond you know, what the hype that we've seen is mostly around monkey JPEGs and things like that. And, you know, you can think of these like collectibles, like artwork, like baseball cards. People get passionate about collecting different things and that's what drives the value. But there's actually a lot of really interesting use cases for things like, you know, digital identity. If you have your identity digital, that is a unique digital asset. And so being able to, you know, 
track that and prove the provenance and origin of your identity that it's been issued by you know the right government agency etc that provenance and origin also is very useful for products so you know I think Fonterra has been looking at using some of these sorts of things for t- shipping milk up to China and being able to prove that supply chain along the way and there's so many use cases I think we'll see a lot more out of NFTs in the coming years and not just about the uh, the JPEG yeah yeah it starts off kind of as a fun thing but it gets as time goes on it could be have some amazing uses yeah Cool. Thank you. So how many cryptocurrencies are out there? Thousands, is that correct? Thousands, well over 10,000. And there's really no barriers to creating a new cryptocurrency. So you and I could sit down this afternoon and create NZX coin if we wanted to, if there was a use case for that, you know, as a token. But yeah, it's a really open source democratic area that anyone can spring up a new token in. And then how do people decide which, is it kind of like stocks where there's higher quality and more volume, all that stuff would kind of attract most investors and the, the smaller ones? potentially have higher returns. Exactly, right? It's it's very similar in that regards to stocks. And one of the things that people often say to me is, well, if anyone can start a cryptocurrency, how do they have any value? It's just like a company, right? I could start a company tomorrow that doesn't mean shares in Apple are going to reduce in value because you know, they're, they're not like for like. And so when you look at crypto assets as, you know, if you're looking at them as investment, absolutely, you've got your more blue chips like Bitcoin, Ethereum, the ones that have larger market cap and more heavily traded. And then you have ones that might look a little bit more like penny stocks or IPOs, you know, things that are new on the market, a bit like a, you know, angel investment or a startup. They may or may not become the next big thing, but if they do, they've got potential for returns. And it's kind of like you, like a stock where you believe the story or you don't. And so one of these smaller ones may have a good story, a good use case, like you say. And if you are convinced of that story and that potential as an investor, you might take a flyer on one of those small ones or... Absolutely. So, so, okay. And even, you know, there are some projects out there that have amazing use cases and great stories, but at the end of the day, it's going to be around who can actually get, you know, the go-to-market plan, the network effect to get that traction and get that real-world use case happening. Do they mostly correlate with equities, like the broad equity market? In terms of the price movements? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, when cryptocurrencies sort of first started coming out and started being seen as a, you know, asset class that people could invest with, there was a lot of talk about this being uncorrelated with the stock markets and also potential talk about it being a hedge against mm. inflation, which we can sort of go into as well. But the, the correlation has been quite strong um, over recent market cycles. Every now and then it starts looking like there is a bit of a, a, a de-pegging or, a, um, you know, I guess a, a break in that correlation. Yeah. But I think we need more market cycles and more time to really see how those, you know, cryptocurrencies and stocks will um, behave in different market times. Yep, yep, fair enough. Um, one of the things that comes up a lot, especially with ESG things, is, is people talking about Bitcoin mining and all mm-hmm. that. So if, say, we came up with a, our own crypto, would that have to be mined or how, or is it, is it, only cer- are only certain ones mined? Yeah, it's a really good question. So Bitcoin was the first digital currency ever created. And so you think of it like a generation one. It's It was groundbreaking. It was really novel. But future innovations have made the space better and being more environmentally friendly is one of those big innovations. So Bitcoin works on proof of work, which is where the mining happens. And that's the very energy intensive um, way of running a cryptocurrency network. A lot of other cryptocurrencies work on proof of stake. Um, And if you heard about the Ethereum merge that happened sort of towards the end of last year, that was a really um, big initiative by Ethereum, which is the sort of second largest crypto out there to move its entire network from proof of work onto proof of stake. And that was a really amazing initiative. Here's this, you know, here's this network that is processing millions, possibly billions of dollars of value on a daily basis. And they moved it while it was working from one, you know, underlying infrastructure to another without any sort of downtime or glitches or lost payments. It's yeah. yeah. And so what is, how, what is, so proof of work is 
a very complex mathematical equation that's done by a supercomputer. That's right. Yeah. Once it's solved, the Bitcoin is created and then it has value because of the it's been, I guess, proven. proof of stake. Is that different? What, what, so yeah. What that? So with proof of work, the what that really complicated mathematical equation is doing is it's adding another block onto the blockchain. So you can actually think okay. of blockchain as literally being like a chain of blocks. It's digital. It's not physical. But, you know, there'll be a block that has a series of transactions in it. And then another block 10 minutes later will get added on. And those mathematical equations are part of what makes that network secure and means that no one can sort of reverse or edit transactions after they've been made. Proof of stake, on the other hand, you still need that same function of having trusted parties adding new transactions into the blockchain. But instead of using those really complicated equations, proof of stake runs on a bit more of a of a reputation type aspect where you take your Ethereum and you actually stake it, you put it up and you say, I'm going to, you know, I promise that I will only validate good transactions. I'm not going to do anything dodgy and try to add a bad transaction onto the blockchain. And you are putting your own Ethereum against that claim. And so if someone is adding a bad transaction and that gets found out by the rest of the network participants, they will lose the Ethereum that they staked. So it's a different style of trying to ensure trust in the network. Because that, that point of having a decentralized network, which you can trust that the transactions are good and that only valid transactions are being made and there isn't any central party organizing that it's happening fully decentralized, that is the, you know, the true yeah, core of blo- yeah. blockchain. And this is a really dumb question. Can I, can I see the blockchain and see who has my trail of, of investors or who I bought it from or whatever? Absolutely. And, and my yeah. name will be on one of these blocks and... So yes and no. So you can see every single transaction that happens and blockchain is incredibly transparent. And I I do a lot of, I was actually last week down at the Transnational Organized Crime Conference in Wellington talking about how transparent and traceable blockchain activity is and how it's actually quite bad for crime because, you know, what criminal wants to use in a a flow of funds that's very visible. But it's traceable and transparent. Every single transaction you can see and you can flow where the, you know, if you buy some Ethereum, you can see who had it before you, who had it before them. But it's doesn't have your name attached to it. It's pseudonymous. So it's like like a bank account number. You could see the account number, but you don't know the name of the person who owns that account necessarily. And the price that it traded out would be on that. That's not stored natively, but you know the exact amount and you know the exact date and time. Yep, so it's very see. easy to add that in. Yeah, That is great information. So getting back to the kind of the wider market, talking about the uncertainty of the volatility and we said, oh, the, today's April 3rd, maybe it'll be great, you know, April 30th will be different. What is making cryptocurrencies rise and fall? Is it just like a stock, kind of the general news, the economy, the inflation, all that stuff? How's all that impacting? Yeah, it's it's very, it's hard sometimes to see what is impacting crypto because it's a very liquid market. It trades 24-7. And so you'll often see cryptocurrencies responding to world events before stock markets do because they've got that 24-7 liquidity and trading. We saw, and again, you know, by the time this goes to air, there might be, there might have been some huge moves moves in the crypto market. There's always, you know, very big things happening, it seems, in my space. And But the, the most recent price movement that we've seen is a quite a good lift in the price of cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin's usually the benchmark that was up 40% since the start of this year. And the th- the feeling behind what has caused that is the increased inflation and quantitative mm-hmm. easing, um, particularly in the US markets and the bank bailouts. So there's some view that this sort of narrative that has been around for a while and crypto around it being a hedge against inflation, Bitcoin in particular, because it has a fixed supply at 21 million. Mm. The idea that this this could act as a hedge against inflation seems to be getting a bit more legs at the moment. And we're seeing Bitcoin, you know, increase in value because people are looking at bank bailouts and perhaps even a little less trust in the banking system. Yeah. So those, I guess th- that type of thinking is similar to the gold or fixed amount of mm. ass- assets out there that can only go, they can't produce more of it. 
So I guess in that regard, crypto and Bitcoin in particular can be a pretty good inflation hedge. Yeah, I mean, we still have yet to see whether this holds true. And I think there's a there's a huge amount of other things that influence the price of Bitcoin and there's a lot of volatility. So I wouldn't say that, you know, hand on heart, I can yeah, say it's yeah. a hedge against inflation <laughs> yet, but there's definitely some merit to that argument. And it's one that, again, we just need to ride through a few more market cycles yep. and see how it pans out. But the idea of, you know, there only ever will be 21 million Bitcoin. You can buy a, a little fraction of a Bitcoin, like a one millionth of a Bitcoin, you know, okay. need to get a whole one. But when you think about 21 million, divide that across the number of people in the world, like that's actually quite a scarce resource. Yeah, yeah. And if as a society we continue to, you know, or, or there's an increasing belief that this thing is a good store of value and a good way to trade value digitally, then, you know, that has some, um, I guess, compelling rationale for potential future price increases. Yeah. Not financial advice. Right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so getting back to kind of the basics, portfolio building, You've got your stocks and fixed income, maybe, and now you want to add crypto. Your company's been growing very quickly or very um, consistently. How many customers do you have in New Zealand? So we have a couple hundred thousand Kiwi customers. Okay. Um, and despite, you know, the markets are definitely a bit slower now than they were in, say, 2021 was a massive boom year um, and 2020 as well. But we're still getting sort of consistent increase in people coming on board. And, and that rationale of diversifying yeah. investment portfolios is quite a strong reason, particularly in our older customers. I think, you know, they have probably better investing knowledge and habits than potentially the younger customers and also a bit more wealth to, to play with perhaps, you know, that distributing across different asset classes. So sort of a, a common rule of thumb that I've seen in, in commentators online is around sort of 5% of your net worth into, into crypto assets. And then if you are diversifying into crypto assets, you know, another thing to look at is diversifying within them as well. So you've got Bitcoin, you've got Ethereum, like we talked about before, you've got, you know, smaller projects that, you know, yeah. might have good potential, but also, you know, are a bit riskier. Yeah, absolutely. And then you do that on, on Easy Crypto or any platform build a portfolio and, and it's kind of there you go. And now you're watching a trade and you're getting news on, on your currencies and it's working in and not as complicated probably as everyone. Well, there is one extra step though, which is different from say holding um, shares or stocks is that with cryptocurrencies, you need a wallet, you need somewhere to store your digital assets. And so at Easy Crypto, we offer a way for people to buy and sell. So we're, we're a trading platform like a broker, but we don't store the assets. So we're quite big believers in, you know, the a huge part of the rationale behind cryptocurrency is that, you know, you are fully in charge of your own funds. You don't have those middlemen or a bank or, yeah. you know, someone holding them for you. So people do have to set up a wallet. And that's probably, I think, the biggest friction point is just, you know, getting they started. Set up through, through Easy Crypto or they do that from another party? They, they do that through. So we, we have advice and we can sort of give tips on what wallets to use. Yeah, yeah. Most common people just download an app on their phone or, you know, use it on their desktop. Um, if you're holding larger amounts, you can get things called cold wallets, which are like little USB devices that, you know, they're more secure for larger values. And then, of course, people can always store their funds on an exchange. But that does have the that counterparty risk, I guess. Yep. And as we saw with FTX collapse last year, that's still not a the regulation and controls in the industry are still not good enough to ensure the right consumer protections yeah. and yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's still risk there. It's still risk there. So yeah, yeah, if you're holding your assets yourself, you're you're in control of them. Your only risk is that you will lose your funds or, you know, forget your passwords, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Oh, thank you for that. Going into the, the basics, I think that was very helpful. Let's kind of talk more about, I guess, do you guys have a view on the overall, we talked a little about the, the market outlook and the inflation, all that stuff. Where do you think this is all, uh, is this all going and how will that affect 
crypto, will it get stronger? Mm. More interest as people diversify or kind of what are your thoughts with all that? I'm a very strong believer in the increasing digitization of assets. So I think, you know, financial products, financial services are increasingly digitizing. That's not necessarily the same as saying that cryptocurrencies will be big in the future, though, right? But we've got things, you know, banks are moving into, um, we've seen a couple of banks in Australia looking at issuing um, digital Australian dollars. Central banks are investing in central bank digital currencies. So New Zealand's RBNZ has got a working group and a lot of, um, a few consultation papers out about that at the moment moment. You know, I do believe we will see stock markets digitize and, you know, have real time 24-7 trading of assets on a digital basis rather than through centralized ledgers. And so I think as a society, we will increasingly be adopting digital assets and that will become more commonplace. I believe there is a space for decentralized assets like cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum, etc., alongside centralized ones and central government ones. Yeah. But it'll be very interesting to see how that yeah, shakes out. We've had, and we obviously never done one, but um, initial coin offerings have been something yeah. that's kind of chatted around out there sometimes. And have they, they've done them somewhere, they've, they've happened, but it's kind of a cool concept where instead of an IPO, it would be, it, would that be a new coin? Like, say, if we go back to our example, came up with a new a new Bitcoin, we would could have an initial offering and get it out there to the first kind of wave of investors type thing. Yeah. And ICOs were really big sort of back in 2017. They've died off a bit because I think regulatory, you know, the market itself is a lot slower than it was back then, but also, you know, the regulation around that is quite complex and ensuring, yeah. you know, who around the world is investing in your token? Do you have the right, um, you know, financial regulations in all of those countries? Something that we see a lot more commonly in the crypto sphere is what's called an airdrop. Um, there was a big airdrop last week with Arbitrum, which is, um, so a an existing crypto company or, or platform might decide to issue a token to end, you know, to instead of having people buy into that token, they just distribute it free to people who've used their product. So if you'd engaged with their platform, you might sort of turn up your, you know, turn on your wallet one morning and find that you'd received a hundred or a thousand yeah. of these tokens. So it's a, it's just a free distribution to users of the platform, and then that can then be traded on the open market, and sort of the value of the company is inferred by the value of the tokens that um, yeah. are freely traded. Oh, very cool. Um, all right. Well, we could, I think, move on to some lighter questions. Um, but I thought that was super helpful. Um, hopefully everyone agrees. Let's talk a little bit about the company. As you guys said, you've got a couple hundred thousand customers. How do you guys see Easy Crypto growing as a business? And will it kind of branch into other products, other offerings, or, or kind of just get more and more investors in this current space? Yeah, so we're definitely, we've got two really exciting new product builds that we're working on at the moment. One of them is uh, very much a New Zealand-based product and the other one's a global play. Fortunately, I can't really yeah, talk yeah. about them, but maybe I'll come back in a few months yeah, and cool. they'll both be in market later this year. And so that's yeah, really exciting for us is to yeah expand beyond, beyond just our sort of bread and butter yeah. on and off ramp or, you know, letting people buy and sell to give them other products that will make their lives better and help them with the transition into digital assets. Oh, very cool. We'll have to circle back in a bit and uh, that would be interesting to see. Okay, now we've got some quick fire questions that are kind of not related to crypto or currencies at all, but uh, where are you from Auckland? I am. Okay. Yeah. What's your favorite hobby? Um, I've got a few, but I really love sailing. And I think oh. getting towards the end of summer now, I'm a little bit sad that the uh, the nice summer days just getting out of the water are almost behind us, but it's looking beautiful today. So maybe I can get out of the summer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've got a couple of days here. Do you have a favorite podcast or book? So I listen to quite a bit of crypto content and yeah, <laughs> my favorite um, crypto podcast is called Empire. It's just two guys chatting about stuff and I find it's like just a really good depth of, of insight and um, discussion. So yeah, it's a good one for me. You founded the business, which I'm sure is a huge leap, you know, going out there on your own. 
Uh, one of the questions here is, do you have a favorite quote or anything that you look on as inspiration to kind of guide you through setting out on your own to build a company? I think the my favorite quote probably for life as well as the business is the, it's a um, Marcus Aurelius quote of the happiness of your life depends on the quality of your thoughts. And I think that idea of just being very intentional, um, you know, in how you live, but also as a leader and how you build a business, I think is a really important thing yeah. to keep in mind. Yeah. Last question. Well, yeah, we'll make this last question probably related to that same thing. The best piece of advice you've ever received. Best piece of advice I've ever received was that you can become an overnight expert in anything if the subject matter is small enough. I really believe that. And it's really helped us with Easy Crypto with, you know, when we started the company, my brother started it actually, and then I came on board to help and I knew nothing about cryptocurrencies. Mm. Well, I knew a bit about crypto, but nothing about regulations and how they applied. And, you know, you can become an expert in anything if you just, yeah, keep it narrow enough and devote enough time to learning about it. And that's a, it's a really good tool to be able to level up. Awesome. I think that whole story would be fascinating to hear too. We were going to get into that when maybe we'll on another one just about how you came to this and all that it's got to be pretty interesting but we wanted to get into the kind of nuts and bolts of the uh investing and all that so um janine thank you very much i i uh i think that was really helpful and hopefully everyone out there can pick up some tips but um easy crypto janine granger and thanks a lot for joining us thanks for having me on The information provided in this podcast is a guide and is intended for general information purposes only. The information is not investment advice. The information should not be relied upon as a substitute for detailed advice from a professional advisor. The podcast may contain opinions or forward-looking statements and actual results may vary from what is expressed in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the presenter or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of NZX. NZX Limited is not liable for any loss suffered through relying on the information in this podcast. NZX makes no warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information in this podcast. All intellectual property rights in the content of this podcast are owned or used under license by NZX and NZX's written consent is required to use, redistribute or reproduce the content or use it to create other works.